Hey there, thank you so much for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast on the Blog Talk Radio Network, Apple iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, wherever you can download and subscribe to podcasts. You'll find us there. Also on your uh, your Amazon Alexa device and other smart device. Thanks for listening. We download uh, new podcasts every Tuesday, so they're there for you. We talk to interesting people. Today, it's author Judy Eichels, who has a very interesting story. Judy, originally from Texas, graduate of the University of Texas. However, she's been here in Washington, D.C., recently wrapped up a uh, nearly three-decade civil service career with the Department of State. And she's here to talk to us about Second Lieutenant William H. Wallace, Jr., and why he is important in her life and how he factors into the book Death in Wartime China. Judy Eichels, my friend, is our guest today. Who is William H. Wallace, Jr., Judy? Right away, you know that there are at least two main threads that are weaved through this, woven through this, uh, through this tale. It's a wartime story from World War II, but from an area of the war that is perhaps a little less known than others. Most people, when they think of World War II, think of the South Pacific or Europe, but there was also a very uh, heavy conflict going on, going on in China. Uh, and a little of the background there, the Japanese had been invading China for years, since 1937, um, plundering the countryside and their ports, their mines, for materials to fuel their industrialization. And so, at, you know, in the early 40s, there were already as many as a million Japanese soldiers in China. And China was trying to defend itself against them and not having very much success, although they contributed a lot later on. So in a somewhat secret deal between our President Franklin Roosevelt and Chiang Kai-shek, they made arrangements to send American airmen to help defend and in South China particularly. This group, you may recognize the name as the Flying Tigers. Uh, that was the original group that went with uh, General Claire Chenault. Um, you know, it's, it's very exciting to think about the secret mission that they were on, somewhat a mercenary mission, I suppose you could say. But my father was among those flyers. In the beginning, the flyers were solo, knights of the sky, you know, battling away single, single pilots against Japanese zero uh, flyers. But eventually they realized that one of the things they could do to most advance the cause of the war would be to take out shipping in South China. So my father, Bill Wallace, was one of the flying tigers that became a bomber pilot. He flew a B-24 low altitude bomber. And his mission along with others there was to go along primarily the Yangtze River and take out shipping it kind of reminds me a little bit of what's happening today in Ukraine. Well, he was there not very long when he ran into trouble. He, had, he was returning from an 11-hour mission over the Yangtze River with his crew of seven and nine 500-pound uh, bombs. Uh, they had dropped some of them. 
guess maybe they were down to seven by then. And he came back into the air, where you, I say air base, it was really just an air strip in Kunming, excuse me, in Kuiling, and he was trying to land. But I don't know, the logistics were not good that night. The weather was bad. The radar wouldn't stay on. He couldn't get a solid homing to where they suggested he land and directed him to go two hours flying distance away to the airstrip in Kunming. This today is a very, you know, a huge city in southern China. At the time, it wasn't quite so large. But Bill knew that he only had maybe not quite two hours worth of fuel. So he was worried about that leg of the trip from the get-go. Sure. And in fact, he, he lost engines, one, the second one, the third one. And when there was only one engine left, he commanded that his crew of seven bail out, and they did. And they all survived. But he didn't, because when he parachuted, it was too late. It was, the plane was too low. Was, we're not sure if something struck him midair. We, we don't know. He never came home. But the United States awarded him a medal of Purple Heart. And we knew about this story, of course. I wasn't born yet. I was not born until five months after he died. So you never but, met your father? No, I never met my father. He never met me, although he knew my mother was pregnant. Made him very happy. But I don't know. You know, 70 years went by. I, we didn't have the Internet. I just didn't do that much looking, that much searching for him. Um, now it's so much easier, but I had a really, really, really wonderful thing happen in my life. And that was that um, an American researcher, an anthropologist who had lived in China for many years, more than 20 years, had come across Bill's story of heroism. And he started trying to contact any family member of William H. Wallace. And this American researcher, whose name is Patrick Lucas, Dr. Patrick Lucas, searched for 10 years trying to find anyone who might be related to Bill. And he always came up short. His difficulty in finding a family member will be explained when you read the book. Sure. You know, adoptions, marriages, yeah, whatever. But finally, in 2015, I got an email from him out of the blue. I nearly deleted it, Pat, sent this to me, and I didn't know who Pat Lucas was. And it said, hi, I'm, I'm Pat Lucas. I work in China. We're looking for any family members of, of Bill Wallace. Can you help us? And I thought, well, for heaven's sakes, that's my father. That's my birth father. So I wrote him back quickly. And I learned, in the meantime, that through the efforts of Dr. Lucas, some American college students and a Chinese community, a monument had been built to my father with his name on it. And the hope for Chinese American friendship and peace. And it was sitting, <laughs> it was installed someplace in Southern China. Wow. So, <laughs> Burke, you know what I had to do? I had to go see You got to go. You got to see this. 
got to go see it. So we arranged a trip, and all of this was really due to Dr. Lucas's intervention. This man was such a diplomat, and he he spoke Chinese. And when I say he spoke, he speaks Chinese. Uh, let me just say, after being there 20 years, he got his PhD in China, in Chinese. I mean, we're talking some kind of fluency that they don't even test to the Foreign Service. This is like beyond uh, fluent. Sure. And he was very good at getting, um, telling, explaining to the local officials in southern China, outside Kunming, why an American woman would want to come there and walk in the fields to find a monument to her father. Because, I mean, it, it might not have happened except for him. Because, you know, I worked for the State Department. I had a top secret clearance. I don't know. Somebody might have wondered a little bit about that. I don't know. But he paved the way. And in 2016, my husband and I went to China. Wow. Wow. The book is Death in Wartime China. And now we know the answer, who William Wallace Jr. is. That's uh, Judy Eichel's father, who she never met, but learned his incredible story. You can uh, read all about it in Judy's book, Death in Wartime China, available now. So let me ask you, when when you um, were growing up, you you had a, a stepfather who raised you. Yes. Was was Bill Wallace, your, your birth father, was he ever talked about by your mom? Was he an afterthought? Was What in a little girl's mind did you think about Bill Wallace? And when you thought about, and today still think about, your father, who do you think of? That's a good question because, you know, when you're a, a very young child, you don't really understand death. I knew that there was a photograph on the buffet at my grandparents' Wallace home. And occasionally, my grandmother would say to me, Judy, you know, that's your father. That's a picture of your father. And then later, I understood a little bit more about the fact that there had been a war and that he had been a pilot and so forth. But it wasn't hidden by any means. But there's a word that I didn't know at that time, which is the word taboo, which means to me, I just knew that if I asked too many questions or if I brought it up too often or if I brought it up with, it, it, it caused people to be sad. And so I just kind of avoided asking too many questions. My mother in 1947 remarried and the man she married was named Sandlin Goodman, which accounts for the middle name I use now. Sure. And he was also a war veteran. He had served in the South Pacific as a Navy CB. But he had come home under very different circumstances. He had contracted some kind of um, tropical disease that made him so ill that he had to be sent home to Dallas. And I never wanted to like highlight this difference. He, he was sorry. He wanted to go back and serve. His brother served also. And I just didn't want to bring up this comparison of this hero pilot father and, you know, daddy who got sent home sick. And so I just, I just avoided it. And also, if I had wanted to learn more, I wouldn't really have known how. We didn't have the Internet. I didn't know about 
freedom of information requests for military military reports. I mean, there are a lot of things I didn't know early in my life that later I, I have learned, you know, how to do this. And of course, it was the impetus of being contacted by Dr. Lucas that really got me curious, more curious. Judy Eichels is our guest today. Her fascinating book is Death in Wartime China, A Daughter's Discovery. Um, and the reason I asked about the relationship with, with your father you never met is in talking with you and in reading the book, you refer to him as Bill or William and not as, as dad. That's just, that's because I never I never met him face to face, and my my daddy was Samlin Goodman. I don't want to tell this story as if you know I was an orphan all my life or something that he was. I had a wonderful childhood, and I had um, mother uh, Samlin Goodman and my mother Ernestine Devonport never had any children of their own, and so in this marvelous I don't know what you call it fate. I wouldn't have had a father without him, and he wouldn't have had a child without me. So we loved each other, and he took good care of me. And, um, you know, that, so I don't, I don't want to make, the story is about Bill. The story is about his service, his commitment, his youth. He was only 25 years old. So many people in World War II died so young. 22 years old. 25, excuse me, 25. 25 25 years old. 25. And he was, in my book, I have a whole chapter about the B-24 aircraft, which he was flying. And, um, you know, you look at the cockpit of that aircraft and you think, my gosh, he probably only learned to drive a car just uh, shortly before he... Sure. Well, you're exactly right. And, you know, I think that gets lost on lots of folks today that, you know, the greatest generation really was made up with a lot of 18, 19, 20 to 25 year old kids. They were kids. Yeah. He trained all over the United States and my mother went with him, which is kind of unusual because um, spouses could not uh, live in base housing. But my mother had described to me how two or three couples, because there you know, were often other one or two wives that were tagging along, um, would rent a house together near the base and the guys would do their training during the week and then they would come home to the rented house for the weekend, which, as I said in my book, I can only imagine the fun parties they had when, <laughs> when the fly boys came home, all these, because it was just like the epitome of masculine, you know, glamour to, to be a pilot. So, um, his heroism was something that was happening even while he was still in the United States, which we would consider a safe place to be. Right. And then one thing, you know, I I got most of my information from letters that went back and forth between uh, my mother and Bill, and they're quite revealing. Um, He missed her a lot. I think he was quite a loving person uh, and quite uh, interested in making her not worry about him. He bought gifts all along the way. Um, his his writing is interesting because you know he because of censorship he couldn't say very much. 
Right. But he always wanted to let her know that he was that he was safe, that he was and and he took time to to send home gifts, some of which I still have in the house. Um, one thing I learned is that he specifically told her in a letter that he was not going to share with his crew that he was an expectant father. Because he said, you know how expectant fathers are, they can be addled brained and he said, I don't want anyone questioning my motives in a crisis. You that's that. pretty, uh, that's pretty advanced thinking for a 25 year old guy. Yeah. Pretty I, sharp. I think so. Selfless. I think he was rather selfless. And then afterwards, my mother got letters from people, uh, other men in the crew who wrote to her. And I knew from that, that they all really admired him. They missed him. And, and they were really, they were sorry, you know, that, that he had been lost. He saved seven, seven men. Now, some of them went on to die later in the war, as I learned, but they all made it through that event on June the 10th, 1944. I wonder, Judy, what you think the family members of his crew who might read your book would take away from it. I'm assuming you haven't talked to any of those family members. No, I haven't. That's quite a project. I would welcome help if anybody's listening to this podcast and knows anyone who was serving in China and wants to get in touch with me. I'm sure that we can work it out. I would really love to talk with them because um, my inter interviewer, Pat Lucas, did contact one family, one, one airman back in, I don't know, maybe 2000 three, four, somewhere along in there. And that gentleman talked to Pat for a day. Pat came to the United States to, to interview him, just as he came to the to Washington to interview me after we met. But um, he said that it was a, a very melancholy interview <clears throat> and that Pat hadn't really finished asking him all the questions that he wanted to. But when he called the house the next day to see if he could stop by to finish the interview, the gentleman's wife said, no, please don't come. This is too upsetting to him. It's just, he, and he, he had nothing else to say. So, and that's not an uncommon reaction. We've all heard how some veterans just, especially World War II veterans, just came home, built houses, had families. They just moved on. Never so, talked about it. Yeah, they uh, about suffered it. silently. You're exactly yeah. right. Judy Eichels is our guest. The book is Death in Wartime China. It's a fascinating story about uh, a B-24 Liberator bomber pilot who lost his engines following a raid on Japanese forces over China. That pilot was Judy's father, Second Lieutenant William Wallace Jr., sacrificed himself to save his crew members. He never met Judy. And uh, some 70 years later, she got an email from a stranger who laid it all out, and she's written about uh, the experience in this book, Death in Wartime China, A Daughter's Discovery. Let's talk about that trip to China. Um, was it an emotional trip for you? Very much so, Mark. It was very emotional for me. Um, but it was very well planned, and my husband and I, uh, we stopped in Beijing first because we had uh, friends there uh, from the Foreign Service. And then we flew down to Kunming. And I don't know what kind of 
welcome I was expecting exactly. We had never served in Asia, so my experiences with Asians was very limited. I thought maybe, you know, a handful of people might be interested in this story. Right. But I was wrong. I was so wrong. It turns out that in the Chinese community, both there in southern China, but also here in Washington, D.C., where I live, they have not forgotten these flyers. In fact, in Kunming, there is a social society there called the Flying Tigers Association. People use that name. There was a security company there called the Flying Tigers Security Company. And at at a, a large museum in the city, there is a whole wing dedicated to the American flyers who defended China. And we, so, yeah, the welcome, I mean, flowers at the airport, a big banquet. We met the mayor. I met the president of the Poetry Society. (laughs) Everybody came out to say hello to us. They really rolled out the red carpet. They rolled out the red carpet. There was a big banner over the civic hall that said in Chinese and English, of course, welcome Judy Eichels to be the daughter of the of a hero is the highest honor. Nobody had ever said anything like that to me. And by the way, let me just say, it's not just me. It would be any family member, any daughter or son or family member of an American soldier who helped defend China during that part of the war would be most welcome there. They would they would throw a banquet for you. <laughs> it was really amazing, and um, we we had a um, there was a little group of people. First of all, we had journalists with us everywhere. Nicest young people, most of them very young, asking really nice, good questions, and they went with us from Kunming up to the mountainside where the where the stone memorial is. The book is Death in Wartime China. It's about Judy Eichel's father, William Wallace, a fighter pilot who sacrificed himself to save the lives of seven crew members. The uh, the plane was running out of fuel. They lost engines. He stayed on board while they all parachuted, and then it was too late. Um, Judy, the, the final details of what happened on that airplane um, with the the other airmen parachuting out. How did, how did that information get pieced together? Part of it got pieced together because from the actual report, the military report that was written by, um, it was dictated to a crew, excuse me, a crew member dictated it to an official Uh, And it was dated, I forget, just a couple of days later, June 12th um, or so. Uh, That that provided the detail about technically what happened, about technically the fact that the radar was being turned on and off, which I later learned was because the airbase in Kualin was under attack. So they didn't want the Japanese to get uh, the homing. Um, So 
much of it was from that. Some of it was just uh, reading other material. But some of it, I must confess, is my imagination. I, I, you know, you often hear about how if you're in the middle of a crisis, sometimes events slow down like, like glitter in a snow globe or something. Sure. And I, I, try, I use that image to think myself, what might his, what might his thoughts have been? And I, I thought about all the letters he wrote to his parents. I thought about the love he had for my mother. And I just, I, I, I just wove that together out of what seemed like the most logical thing that, that he might have, have thought. I, I worked with a, an, a coach um, because this is my first long form um, writing and he said to me one day as we were talking, he said, Judy, I think what you need to do is just get in that B-24 and fly that last flight with your father. You need to get in that airplane mentally is what he meant. And I tried to do that, but I also got on a B-24. <laughs> there is a group that maintains historic aircraft. It's called the Collings Foundation. And in 2016, I rode up in the car to Pennsylvania and where they had a B-24 that was still airworthy. And I got on that airplane and I saw for myself what a complicated cockpit that is. And there's a nine inch wide plank that goes from the cockpit to the back of the plane. And that's where the, the crewman had to walk and we walked on that board, my son and daughter, my son-in-law, my two grandsons, my husband and I. And I will never forget how that airplane smelled, the gasoline, you know, there's this feeling of being on a, in a war machine. And I wrote about that. And that's what, that also helped me. And I tell other people who are writing, you know, and talking about writing, if at all possible, get there, look at it. If it's a house, go to it. If it's a place, go there. Try to, try to just absorb um, what you're seeing and feeling there and then write about it. And that, that's what I tried to do. Death in Wartime China is the book. Judy Eichels is the author. If you're a, a fan of World War II history, uh, The Greatest Generation, you'll love this book. It's an amazing story about how Judy discovered uh, that her birth father, who she'd never met, is a, a hero in China with a memorial, a monument erected to his uh, heroism there, that and his crew. Death in Wartime China is the book. Uh, were, uh, were Bill's remains found? And, and if so, where is he buried now? Oh, thank you for that question, uh, Burke. <clears throat> so he was buried in China, as all the uh, deceased soldiers were, and an above-ground um, tomb. They couldn't bring the war dead home at that time. Um, I might just say at this point, those people who are familiar with this part of the war know that in order to get men, airplanes, airplane replacement parts, food, letters, whatever, uniforms, whatever it was, everything had to be flown 
from India up to into South China. It was called the CBI, the China Burma India um, route, and that that particular air route was called flying the hump. It was flying over the Himalayas, hmm. where you know Mount Everest stands guard, and so they were really isolated there. They could not, and they had to fly back from China back to India to get fuel for the very airplanes that they were flying. So there was no way that they could use that precious airtime or fuel to repatriate deceased soldiers. So they were buried there. Well, and they couldn't go across the Pacific either for obvious reasons. Sure. Um, but in 1947, the... Um, <clears throat> By then it was the Air Force uh, contacted my my family in Texas and asked where they wanted his remains to be returned to the United States. And my family at the time chose Arlington Cemetery. So Bill Wallace is interred in Arlington Cemetery, a place that I have visited and know. And um, my mother did not come to that burial because by 1947 she had remarried. But she did send flowers, and I think there were a couple of family members who came, although not his parents. They were not, they were so grief stricken that the very idea of, they just, they couldn't do it. That's what I was told later. Right. But mother sent flowers, and someone at the who came to the funeral collected the little card that was on the flower arrangement that just had written that. It was from an Arlington County florist that said, Love, Judy Lynn, and Ernestine. And I have that. I have that. Oh, after all these years, you have yeah. that card. Yeah, my mother saved, she saved a little box of things for me. She saved... Uh, Bill's uh, uniform hat, his wings, the purple heart, a little Bible that his mother had given him, and of course my little baby bracelet, which um, says W.H. Walls on it. So, and then these letters that, that, that she kept, and anything else that was related to his military service. It was all in a little box. But Burke, remember... I moved overseas six times. <laughs> we went, I was in, in the foreign service with my husband. This stuff went in and out of storage, in and out. It's a miracle that I have found this box. Um, sure is. <laughs> one of many, one of many, what I, I sort of feel like are, are miracles. Um, you know, there's a really uh, wonderful writer who I, I think a lot of her, her name is Catherine Schultz with a Z. And this year she published a book called Lost and Found. <clears throat> it's a wonderful book. Try to interview her if you can. She's really, really fabulous. And in this book, talking about finding things, she said, if you find something through your own effort, you know, your own um, and you feel sort of like you have control over what's happening. But if things come to you because 
you know, somebody calls you from China. <laughs> she didn't say that in her book, but I say. Sure. Or you managed to find the little treasure trove that your mother left you 70 years ago and packaged up for you to read someday. And, you know, if Chinese people come to you and say, thank you so much for your father's service, if these things start happening to you, you kind of begin to feel like it's fate or karma. You or, don't ignore those signs for sure. Yeah. So um, that also propelled me. I just felt like I had to write this. Our guest, Judy Eichels, is the author of Death in Wartime China, a fascinating story about her discovery of the story of her father and the Chinese people who never forgot his heroism. Uh, Dr. Patrick Luke, uh, Lucas is the scholar that helped track her down, and he writes, may we not forget the real sacrifices of the past in hope of future friendship and peace for the whole world. I think that's uh, words well-spoken. Judy, I wonder as we wrap up, if your career path with the Department of State that took you all over the world, uh, I've got a list of some of the places you lived and worked, El Salvador, Colombia, Venezuela, Brazil, Greece, Mexico. I wonder if you think there's there's some sort of through line there between you and and Bill and and the fact that as a young guy, 25 years old, he's serving you know, a world away in China. You think that's possible that, that your wanderlust and, and your world travels somehow connect you to the father that you never met? Burke, I think it's entirely possible. Um, I was the first person in my family to live overseas and the only person together with my husband, his career, took us um, overseas. And our, our purpose in going um, was, we were, we were with the US Information Agency. And this is the arm of public diplomacy. It's where people go who are interested in making the bridge between languages across cultures to see through some of the, I'll say, difficult and sometimes artificial barriers that are set up because of governments, because of distance, because of ignorance. Um, we spent years working with people in the local press, local artists, teachers, uh, exchange students. And when you do that, you see that we have so much more in common than those things that artificially divide us. And um, I'm just sorry that I never got to serve in Asia. Uh, but I did serve in places where there was really modern day or current day evidence of it having been an ancient civilization like Greece, you know? We have such a young country here. The United States is still so young. Um, I, I think it's educational and it's enriching 
to go to places, and like China, where you can stand on the Great Wall and you know that this is something that preceded almost modern history altogether. And um, I, I think there, I think there may be a through line to be um, to be interested in these things. Of course, Bill was propelled because of the war. Doubtful that he would have ever gone to China absent the war. I think I might. I had already gone overseas once before I got married, but um, when I fell in love with Larry Eichels, who <laughs> was a great guy, we lost him a couple of years ago, but he was a fantastic guy. It didn't hurt one bit, in my estimation, that he wanted to have a career overseas. I love that idea. Some people balk at moving overseas, but mm, not me. I loved it. So I think there could be there could be um, some uh, travel gene that, that that made it through the generations. One thing that has been so interesting to me when I've done book talks, um, more than one audience has said to me, or audience member has said, "You really look like your father," which just delighted me. I've uh, I've seen pictures. He's a handsome guy, so that's a good uh, a good compliment. I uh, I was fascinated when you talked about the huge reception that you received when you were in China. I wonder what Chinese Americans that you've talked with about the book, what response they have, what they're uh, what they've been told about World War II, what they know or or don't know about uh, America's involvement in in helping repel the Japanese away from China. What, what, what do, uh, what do Chinese Americans say to you? It, this is what <laughs> I can't tell you how, how surprised and how pleased. Um, I just didn't know that the Chinese community in, in China and especially in that area of China, South China, the Yunnan province and here, have been so open and responsive to this story. I've been invited twice now, once to a, a writers, uh, a Chinese writers group and to a Chinese book club. I talked to some Chinese people last night, uh, about 30 people showed up for a, a book talk and they, they remember these stories. They, they know about this history. Some of their parents lived through this time. And so they're very receptive. They're happy that somebody's written about it. I have a friend who wants to translate this into Chinese. Seems oh, that's great. A bit daunting, but it, it just tells me that they would like to, that, that they're thirsty for someone to recognize that we were once allies. I know it would be a huge leap today for anyone to say that. But at one time, and not that long ago, the Chinese and Americans were fighting side by side, and they were, they were allied in a cause. So, you know, <laughs> in China, I think I, you'll read in the book that this, this family that 
was so interested and so supportive of the monument, gave Bill a Chinese name uh, because they had adopted him into their family. And um, they named him Li. The family name always comes first. Li Shu, which is the middle name, generational name for the people of his generation. And Hua, a, sim, a, a syllable that sounds like Wallace, but it also means, the word means China. Li Shu Hua was his Chinese name. I'm still waiting for them to give me a Chinese name. Keep talking about this book enough. I have a feeling it's coming. Death of Wartime China is the book. It's by Judy Eichels. All right. One last question as we wrap up. We uh, we just got past Veterans Day here. And I, I wonder if, uh, if Veterans Day, since the publication of this book, has taken on and will take on a new meaning for you and what message you would like to share with veterans who might be listening today. Well, Yes, when you have personal experience with something, the days that commemorate that experience are more meaningful by definition. And just like I wrote in the book, uh, I listed all of the men who flew with Bill. And I have said that if any of their family members come in, come in touch with the book. I want them to know that we honor the experience and the service of their family members. And that we haven't forgotten. We don't, we won't forget. That's the reason I've written this book. I don't want Bill to be forgotten. I don't want that generation to be forgotten. And so far my experience has been that people agree with that. Uh, And again, to veterans, I know people say thank you for your service. It seems a little trite, but I really believe that we should remember and thank people. Judy Goodman Eichels is doing her part, thanking our veterans with her new book, Death in Wartime China, A Daughter's Discovery. Available now at Amazon.com, wherever great books are sold. Ask for it by name, Death in Wartime China. Fantastic book and a very interesting conversation. Judy, thanks for being here today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Our Big Time Talker podcast is brought to you by SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. If you're a platform speaker or a meeting planner, find one another at the virtual marketplace at SpeakerMatch.com. For our guest today, author Judy Goodman-Eichels in her book, Death in Wartime China, I'm Burke Allen in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to our podcast with new episodes every Tuesday. Now go out there and make it a great day. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody.